Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. Today, we have a really interesting guest. Um, his name is Adrian Parlow, and he is the head of general counsel at WeFunder, as well as VP of corporate development. Um, but today, we're going to be talking a little bit less about legalese and a little bit more about something that I think we're all really excited about, which is expansion into the European Union um, and some of the exciting developments that are occurring in Europe on the equity crowdfunding side of things. So we've asked them here today to give us a deep dive into what they're up to in the EU and what we can expect in the years to come. So with that, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us here today. Pleasure to be with you. Adrian, would you mind giving everyone a little bit of background on yourself and your role at WeFunder? Yeah, sure. So uh, I started off as a corporate lawyer doing venture capital work and M&A. Uh, hated that pretty immediately and started looking for other kinds of ways that I could get involved in the startup ecosystem. So I uh, met the guys at WeFunder, was kind of excited that they seemed to be automating a bunch of the stuff that I had been doing as a junior associate, sending signs and collecting wires and such. Um, so that's pretty cool. And yeah, I've been there for about the last year and a half. Started out on the legal side of the house and then more recently have transitioned to corporate development, uh, which means kind of a bunch of different things. But right now it's uh, this European expansion that we've been working on for almost the last year or so. That's really exciting. So you know, I know that the, the UK actually, in, in many regards, has been well ahead of the US in terms of having gotten things approved in live much earlier on the equity crowdfunding side of things. Um, but now there's been some new rules that have recently come out to rationalize raising across multiple countries in the EU. Can you dive into what those changes were uh, and what the landscape, landscape uh, kind of looks like in the EU right now? Yeah, totally. So as you rightly pointed out, the UK was blessed with good crowdfunding regulations way before we were. So um, they got basically the equivalent of what we have in the US now back in 2014, uh, which meant at that time it was a five million pound cap, uh, has since expanded to eight million pounds. Um, and, you know, 2014, we had nothing in the US. Um, Crowdfunding originally passed in 2016 in the U.S., and even then it was super restrictive, uh, a million dollar cap and a bunch of other rules that made it very unattractive. So the U.K. market had all this time to develop while we were basically restricted by regulation in the U.S. Um, interestingly, the U.K. market and the U.S. market are roughly equivalent now, despite the fact that the U.S. is almost 10 times the size Um and the UK has done a lot of really smart things there. They have uh, a really excellent tax relief uh, for startup investing that has prompted a lot of investors to consider startups as a major asset class in the UK. So, um, you know, that's kind of like the market to aspire to in terms of overall saturation. Um, the US, obviously, several years behind that. And then the EU now is just starting to uh, become a thing as well. So, 
Um, November of last year, there was a major round of regulatory reform passed in Europe. Um, this was a European Commission-wide regulation, which means that it applies equally across all 27 member states in the EU. Um, so before the regulation uh, was passed, it was on a country-by-country -country basis. So some countries had decent crowdfunding regulations, some had really terrible restrictive crowdfunding regulations, others had no regulations at all. So in some places it was completely unregulated and it was a bit of a wild west. Um, now with this new regulation, we have one consistent set of regulations that applies uh, all across the European Union. So what that means is platforms can get registered in one place and then they can basically passport all across the EU. Um, so that means that finally we actually have harmonized regulation. Um, we can start to, you know, facilitate more cross-border investments and um, obviously provide way more capital opportunities for companies because, you know, uh, a lot of countries are really good for company development but don't have a big investor base. Um, the Netherlands, where I am right now, is a great example of that uh, thriving startup ecosystem, but so few people that it's really hard to get investments from within the Netherlands. And so any existing platforms here weren't really able to, you know, get a lot of funding for their companies. So really exciting now that we can tap into, you know, investor base all the way across Europe um, and even in the U.S. as well uh, for, for companies around Europe. So we're really excited about it. So does this mean that a company can essentially say they're located in the Netherlands? They can file their paperwork in the Netherlands, probably in their local language, and then list their company on a marketplace, but then raise from investors across all 27 countries that are part of the EU? Yeah, so the, the new regulations don't specify where the investors um, are located. So they can actually be from anywhere in theory. Um, so for sure, all across the EU, uh, and we're also working on ways to get um, concurrent raises with our U.S. investor base. Um, as of right now, it looks like only U.S. accredited investors, but that's still a pretty good uh, a base of investors that can uh, invest in European offerings as well. So re we're really excited about facilitating more cross-border, having kind of more of an open platform where anybody can invest in any company. Wow, that's terrific. I didn't realize. So accredited investors should be able to invest into UK company or, or EU companies um, once you guys kind of have all of this launched. Yeah, that's right. And we, we've built up a pretty good uh, accredited investor base in the US over the years because pre-2016, uh, you know, we've been around since 2012 and pre-2016 uh, retail crowdfunding wasn't allowed. And so back then all we had was accredited investor uh, crowdfunding. So, so we've built up a pretty good base of those folks over the years. Um, I won't get into all the legal details of how to facilitate that, but it's definitely possible to do kind of concurrent offerings. So uh, one for accredited in the U.S. and then uh, retail in the EU. That's really interesting. Now, I know some of the other platforms out there have gone ahead and essentially just, you know, gone and acquired or made investments into U.K.-based platforms. Uh, what is WeFunder's approach? How are you guys kind of entering that market? Yeah, I mean, uh, not by acquisition is, is the short answer, but um, yeah, I mean, we've just been getting in the local markets and talking to people and it's been very easy to sort of uh, make inroads there. We found that people are really, really excited about what we have to offer. There's not a lot of um, local, you know, alternatives for this kind of thing. And we've been finding in Europe that there's a significant funding gap at the early stages. So 
the U.S. Uh, venture market obviously is much more developed, but in particular, the early stage venture market like seed and pre-seed is much, much more developed in the U.S. than it is in the EU. Um, we've been finding that the EU is much more of like an old boys club where, you know, if you went to the right universities or you happen to know the right people, maybe you can get some angel investments or you're lucky enough to get into an accelerator. But if you don't have those kinds of advantages or opportunities, getting funding for early stage companies is just brutally difficult here. So uh, we've been finding that people are really excited about having just a new option for a way to raise funds. Hmm. So there's probably a little bit of a silly logistics question, but I'm curious to hear from you, um, you know, in, in terms of entering those markets, I would imagine one challenge is some sort of language barrier. Is there a way to manage that? Is it just English first and, you know, you better know that language? How, how does that work? Yeah, no, it's, it's not a silly question at all. Um, we've been thinking a lot about language. So obviously uh, investors are going to invest in things that have the local language more so than just English. Um, we have found that English gets you pretty far across Europe because uh, as soon as you step out of your home country in Europe, you need a common language. And so if a Dutch person and a French person were going to talk to each other, they would have to talk in English, right? They don't have another uh, alternative. So just about everybody in the ecosystem speaks English. Um, the more difficult part is on the investor side. A lot of retail investors may only speak the language of their home country or they're not comfortable, you know, uh, making financial decisions in English. Um, so that's where we've had to think a little bit more on the product side about what we're going to support. Um, we have basically come to a mix of human and machine translation, but uh, we're trying to get 10 languages uh, supported, which will allow us to get about 85 to 90% of the European population um, with, with kind of a mix of uh, human and machine translation. But uh, no, I mean, it's a good point. It's been a massive effort to, to do that. That's pretty cool. So essentially, you'll be able to have offering pages offered in a multitude of languages so people can utilize, you know, maybe it's German, Italian, whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. So the legal requirements um, require you to at least translate like the legal offering documents um, into a language um, if you want to specifically market to investors in that country. So if you want to market to German investors, you've got to have the offering documents be in German. Um, so, there, so there's that kind of baseline requirement. Um, and then obviously there's like the user experience uh, as well, where in some markets like here in uh, the Netherlands, for example, investors all speak basically fluent English and it's not a problem. But if you go to like, uh, you know, outside of a major hub in Germany or France, uh, you're going to find something very different. Uh, I'm sure you would. And it's also interesting to me, you know, in terms of filing their paperwork, is each country, you know, do they have their own kind of regulator that you're applying to? And then do you also apply to some other organization within the EU so that you could raise across the countries? Or is it simply one piece of paperwork and it's recognized and accepted across all of them? Yeah, no, it's the latter. So they, they've made it nice and easy. So you just have to get registered with one regulator. Um, so for us, that's the Dutch regulator. Um, and then there's a consistent set of paperwork. So the, the document is called a key investment information sheet or a keys. Um, and that's one consistent all across the EU. Um, it's actually nice and short as well. It's only six pages long. Um, there's no filings. So they're actually doing a really good job of taking some of the things that they've done in the US 
and trying to make them a little bit simpler and more intuitive. So, you know, the idea of having a form C is like a nice idea, but it ends up just being a lot of legalese uh, stuff that investors probably don't read. So European uh, regulators saw that and said, okay, let's do something similar, but let's condense it down and make it more like in plain English. So it's something that investors can actually understand. Um, yeah, so that's been kind of a fun process to, to adapt that for, for, for that purpose. Yeah, I love hearing that. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's so necessary. I think a lot of it is so overcomplicated, and what you find is 90% plus of investors certainly don't read the whole document. Um, you know, they're looking for key data points and they make it hard to find those data points. If you could just find, you know, key financials or whatever it may be, that's about all they're really looking for. Um, so in the EU, for those who are less educated, even including myself on this topic, um, do you have to file things like your past year's financials and do they have to be audited like in the U S as well? Yeah. So the financial statements don't have to be audited. Um, what they say is that if you have audited statements, you should provide those. But if you don't, there's no requirement to get an audit. And same thing with a CPA review. So, so it's a little bit more relaxed in that regard. Um, what we've actually found, though, is that startups do typically tend to have uh, financials and often um, audited financials because the local countries generally will require it as a, you know, if you're a company that's over a certain size, you're going to be required to get audited financials anyways um, by hmm. law. So, so that requirement doesn't seem to be as much of an issue here as it is in the U.S., where a lot of companies are just, you know, using QuickBooks. And in your kind of research of the local market, are you finding that there's already players in place that are kind of well-established across these countries? Or are you kind of entering, you know, a green space where no one's really built just yet outside of maybe the U.K.? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit of both. So th there certainly are existing players um, in each market, but our experience has been that they have so far been mainly confined to their own local market. So here in the Netherlands, you're going to have a couple of platforms that focus on Dutch startups and Dutch investors. You go to Germany, you're going to have platforms that take German startups with German investors. Um, the problem is that each market is small enough that it's difficult to really build, you know, a, a strong business, a strong platform. And the strength of a platform is um, so dependent on the quality of startups and the number of investors there, right? It's kind of a, uh, it's, it's a circular thing where the more startups you have, the more investors and vice versa. And so if you're restricted by the size of your market, as everybody was prior to this new regulation, it's very difficult to build, you know, a really good product, a really good platform that people want to be on. So most of these players are there they have something but they're generally the process is really bad the fees are really expensive um the major one in germany charges like 15 percent of funds raised um, a lot of them uh, make it really difficult for the company to raise money for instance requiring huge amounts of upfront commits before they'll list a fundraise um yes and 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 most of them don't have a great track record as well so there aren't really any players that are, you know, uh, across the continent operating. The closest thing you'll find is the, the players from the UK who have had some limited operation in the EU for a couple of years, but they've also been subject to the same requirements where if they want to, you know, operate in a country, they have to go get registered in that country. And then again, for every other country. So they're now, they have kind of more of an open playing field the same way that we do. Um, 
but but yeah, I wouldn't say that they've really kind of expanded across the continent yet. Understood. In terms of kind of deal sourcing strategy, as you think about how you're going to source these deals from various countries, do you plan to have kind of local boots on the ground in, in many of these kind of key countries, or is it more of a virtual deal sourcing that'll occur? Yeah, that's something that we're still kind of working out the details of. Um, I think a combination of the two makes sense. I mean, we've been thinking internally as a company about how we want to operate, right? And I think in in the current era, there's been a lot of conversations around remote versus in-person and what benefits do you get from each one? Um, so you kind of have those conversations around, you know, where should we build the team? Do we centralize it in, you know, Amsterdam or Berlin, or do we disperse it to try to cover geographically? Um, WeFunder has always been a very uh, in-person focused company. Um, you know, in San Francisco, we have kind of this like hub around our office where we have founders all the time coming for dinners and events. And so like we have this very um, kind of like magical in-person culture that we want to try to emulate here in the EU. Um, obviously, that's a little bit at odds with like being directly in the local markets. So we're trying to figure out how to balance those two things. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that sort of a combination of um, an in-person core team and then uh, maybe some dispersed kind of like country managers um, to be on the ground makes sense. But but yeah. And obviously, you know, here in the U.S. as well, penetration of our industry is still very low in many regards. Right. Um, there are still tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people who need to learn about uh, what it is that we're all doing. But in the EU, are you finding kind of in your initial learnings of the industry that there's even more awareness and education that is needed? Or are more people aware of this and there's just not good solutions just yet? No, I would definitely say that more education is needed even than in the U.S. Um, culturally, Europe has been a little bit behind the U.S. in terms of willingness to embrace you know, new and risky ventures. Um, Europeans tend to be a little bit more risk averse, a little bit more cautious. And so a lot of the platforms that are operating around Europe are doing debt uh, instruments mm. or other kinds of like asset backed uh, securities. So so things that are a little bit lower risk, lower reward. Um, so the idea of, you know, equity or convertibles, these kind of higher risk, higher upside rounds is a little bit foreign, I think, to a lot of retail investors in Europe. And a lot of them just don't even know anything about startup investing at all, um, probably more so than the U.S. because, you know, Silicon Valley has had this like permeating influence through the U.S. where you don't really have that uh, startup hub that's really like permeated the culture the way that Silicon Valley has. So, yeah, that's definitely something we're thinking a lot about is like how best to, to educate the market about it. Hmm. And will you be utilizing the WeFunder brand in Europe or are you creating kind of a localized brand? No, we're definitely utilizing the WeFunder brand. I mean, I think the strongest thing that we bring as a foreign platform is that we've been doing this for 10 years. We funded, you know, a thousand companies in the U.S. and have all these success cases. Um, so we're definitely going to try to leverage that as much as we can. That's really cool. And, and for companies that raise in the U.S., does this open the door to potentially enable them to be able to raise capital from the EU as well? It does. It does. Yeah, so that's actually one of the most exciting things about this is that you can, in theory, run concurrent offerings and take advantage of the five million cap in both places. So uh, mm. a U.S. company who has, say, a European 
uh, user base or a community in, you know, outside of the US uh, can take advantage of doing both at once. Um, you can't do the flip side. So you have to be a US formed company in order to use Reg CF. Uh, but for U.S. companies that want to move outside of the U.S., um, this is a really good option. This is actually something that uh, Airbnb asked us to do for them back in 2016. And I think we probably would have got the deal if we had had it at that time. Wow. So and, and do you even need to set up another type of entity to raise in, in the EU? Or is it literally you can raise from here with your U.S. entity and and utilize the advantages of the U.K. market? Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so the, the EU regulations don't require an EU formed company in order to raise there. So you can take a US company and do a raise with European investors through the European uh, hub. Um, in theory, you could also run a parallel one through the UK and also take advantage of the 8 million pound cap in the UK with UK investors. I don't know if there have been any companies that have done you know, three at a time, but uh, maybe we'll try to pilot the first one. Let's see. Yeah, no, I, I love that concept. That's pretty cool. Um, and certainly that would open up deal flow access for the EU as well. I, I do find that sometimes there's just interest. So even with risk averse investors in the EU, right? If they hear that there's a US based technology company, they get excited at the idea of having exposure to kind of the US tech markets because um, they certainly have a brand in and of itself. So uh, that would be really interesting to see if people can utilize and benefit from doing that. Um, really, really cool. So as you think about kind of the next six months, you know, obviously things change over time, but what could we kind of expect in terms of, you know, when this might become available um, and some of the initial steps or things that we'll kind of see being built in public? We're getting ready for the uh, official launch, which should be uh, in the next couple of months. Um, you know, leading up to that, obviously, we're going to totally adapt the platform to work with the local market. So that's all the language stuff we talked about, uh, money pipes, obviously, and then getting a bunch of awesome companies here in the EU ready to launch. So um, we're planning a big launch day where we get, uh, you know, uh, 15 or 20 companies all going at the same time. We'll do a bunch of PR around that. And um, I'm really excited about the slate that we've got so far. Um, like I said, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of blue ocean here. So we've been finding that there's a lot of companies really, really excited about the prospect of raising with us. Um, there are a lot more rules than just the ones we talked about that are a little bit more relaxed in different ways in Europe. And so I'm pretty excited about how we can put our product teams to work to take advantage of some of those. That's pretty neat. And I'm sure a question that a lot of our investors are wondering about are, um, will they need to set up, if they're a US-based resident, Will they need to set up a new account to start doing deals in these EU deals or will it actually all kind of work? Yeah, it, it'll all just work. So if you're if you're on WeFunder and you've uh, set that you're accredited, then you should automatically have access to these uh, EU deals. Nice. That's terrific. Any other major differences kind of in your exploration of this market and preparing to launch in it uh, that you're finding, you know, kind of those local differences and things that people should be on the lookout for? Um, as they look to get involved in potentially investing in the EU markets? Not too much else beyond what we've talked about. I mean, I think the, I think the market is developing in really exciting ways in Europe. I think for a very long time, there hasn't been as much thought paid to Europe. You know, 
U.S. venture investments into Europe have been fairly limited, but I think that has been really changing over the last five years or so. Um, and there's a lot of really exciting companies coming up from all around Europe. So, you know, different hubs kind of have strengths in different things. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I would say across Europe, there's probably seven or eight different hubs that are that are really exciting and kind of, you know, the local Silicon Valleys in different places. So the most exciting thing to me is just getting to, you know, fund a bunch more awesome founders who wouldn't have otherwise had access to this funding. So that's what I'm really excited about um, is just like see what see what people can do all over the world um, rather than just focusing on the U.S. Well, that's outstanding. Um, well, you know, Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us. You heard it here first. WeFunders entering the EU uh, and benefiting from the kind of rationalized rules in the EU to be able to raise across multiple countries. I think it's a really exciting development in general for the industry and obviously a wonderful one for WeFunder and all the WeFunder investors who uh, perhaps partook in their Reg CF about a year or so ago. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all of your, your thoughtful uh, perspectives, being kind of boots on the ground, learning about this industry, figuring out what's going on in the EU, and actually entering the market. I think it's really, really exciting, and I uh, hope you all learned something here today. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at Kingscrowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.